0: The women here are gorgeous, okay? And when you see them walking, like, oh they're just preparing for their supermodel career.
1: But at some point I said, Okay, so I have researched, I reached the point of, of knowledge that I wanted to absorb about my own
2: ancestry. Now I want to do something about it. we were actually there at the time of the dragon festival it was the most bizarre thing in
3: poland uh things that come to
2: mind not a whole lot no
3: probably not a whole lot uh polish sausages
4: no i don't know anything about that country poland sausages
5: pierogies
3: is that it we hope it's not that's what we're gonna try to show you and all that jazz. I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska.
5: And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 45th episode of Polcast.
3: It's the summer, vacation time, so we want to give you some ideas about interesting places to visit in Poland. Our perspective may be slightly different from that of non-Poles who have visited Poland, so today we speak to Philip Zaw, a creative artist from Toronto performing on stage, making multimedia projects, traveling and striking up conversations in cafes. Philip, you have recently come back from Poland.
5: Well, I
2: was actually in Europe doing some traveling and me and my girlfriend took a bus from Berlin to Krakow.
3: And why did you decide to go to Krakow?
2: I actually heard from a bunch of friends that it was a really cool place and it's been through a lot of history, but it's been coming out of that in a really exciting new way and I wanted to come check out and see what, what that meant.
3: Mm-hmm. So how long did you stay there?
2: We were there for about a week. We did go uh, one day to visit Auschwitz, but that was pretty much... The only trip we took outside of Krakow. How was it? I really loved it, actually. Since it's coming out of such a devastating time of history, it has all this like raw grittiness to it, which you don't find in some of the cities where I grew up, like Toronto. And 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 I feel like a lot of new ideas are are coming out, and uh, I I found a lot of really interesting cafes and nightlife and uh, really a lot of really exciting things. So I really loved it. I'm the kind of traveler that the thing that interests me the most is find wherever the tourists are, and then walk in the other directions. We spent a day in the old Jewish quarter. We went and checked out um, Schindler's factory. So I definitely were interested in the the historical and the museums. But I really like to kind of notice how people live their daily lives. And so I noticed a lot of people were rollerblading down these huge paths with cyclists as well and pedestrians. And I found that was really interesting because I haven't really been to a city where people rollerblade to get around. So I thought that was really cool. We hiked up. Uh, there's a few different mounds made of uh, old war battlefields, uh, and those were really interesting and, and gorgeous views from the top. Yeah, we were actually there at the time of the Dragon Festival. It was the most bizarre thing, and you and you realize that. The myths that are in my culture, for example, in Toronto are so vastly different than the the myths and the traditions of of Polish culture. We were really lucky to be there at that time and they had these giant inflatable dragons, like seven or eight of them all lined up along the waterfront. They had people doing like these insane uh Jetpack kind of tricks. And there were people like flying with parachutes and doing tricks. And it was just an unbelievable sight to be seen because it was different kinds of spectacles than you'd see here, for example. It felt way more about culture than it did about commercialism. And I felt that way about the city as a whole. The foods, the myths, everything. It's just a completely different life and history and way of understanding the world.
3: Of course, I have to ask you about that one day in Auschwitz.
2: Well, it was my second time, uh, not Auschwitz, but a concentration camp. I went to Dachau uh, a, a few years earlier. And so the initial shock didn't hit me quite as hard. But what I did feel when I was there more than anything was just how vastly enormous it was when you see a space that's so big and you know that that was filled to the brim with such horror, it's hard to comprehend.
3: If you were to to compare what you've seen in these other places and Poland, what's special or different?
2: Well, as a young person, obviously a big thing that influences uh, how much you enjoy your travels is how affordable things are. And uh things in Krakow were it was one of the most affordable places we visited. So that that's really nice from the perspective of somebody who wants to to travel on a budget. We stayed in in a very affordable, beautiful Airbnb and and the our host was very gracious. Everybody was really nice that we met. We met a lot of really nice people. We went to a bunch of different cities that had been big centers of the war and I'm I'm actually Jewish and so the old Jewish quarter was particularly interesting to me and I found that the way that it that it's evolved since has has been through the lens of a very artistic lens and a very young lens and and that's really nice for me to see that that unlike other cities the Jewish quarter has has turned into a bit more of a high-end, out-couture kind of place. And, and I found that the way that Krakow has embraced its history and, and really kind of not denied what's happened is really beautiful. I think I weren't learned more world history in a month and a half just going than I learned my entire life. And, and I'm so interested now. Now I'm spending hours reading, and, and it just kind of opens up the, the world and the history of the world to you in, in a whole different way.
3: Would you go back to Poland?
2: Oh, definitely. I, the further east that I feel like I traveled in Europe, uh, the less touristy I felt it was, which for me is more appealing because I feel like I really was getting a taste of real life. And Poland in particular, like, I'm an artist, and so I, I feel like it's a city that if you're an artist, you have to go check out because they really, they preserve what happened, and they, and they seem to be looking towards the future in a really artistic way beautiful way and and i'm excited to see what what's going to happen uh, as the city evolves into the 21st century
3: other places in poland
2: yeah i've heard warsaw is also really incredible i'd love to and and i'd love to go see the countryside if i you know the time is always a limited commodity so i, I typically sit, visit the cities first but i'd love to spend some time and see what what true life in the, the countryside is like too
5: you can see beautiful photos that Philip took in Poland on our website, mypolcast.com.
3: Both in Gazeta and on Polcast, we talk a lot about Polish-Jewish issues. We believe that they constitute an extremely important part of Polish heritage and of who we are today. In Toronto, any event or issue that pertains to Polish-Jewish relations always involves the Polish-Jewish Heritage Foundation, a dynamic organization whose head and soul is Peter Yasem. An accomplished architect in his day job, he has devoted over a decade of his life to this labor of love. I want to start with your personal story, because the fact that you're so involved in the Polish-Jewish um, issues uh, goes back to a certain moment in your life.
1: Yes, indeed. I grew up in Poland in a small town. My parents were scientists in, in genetics. They worked on crossbreeding plants uh, for agriculture. I guess my father did not feel comfortable uh, disclosing to his uh, small children uh, that uh, he was of of jewish origin Uh, he would have been uh, the only one around and you never know. Uh, There was not much of of tolerance in in certain places. So I think it was protective. Consequently, I grew up not knowing that uh, I come from a mixed family. Uh, When I came to Canada in 88, I started doing some research to validate my uh, long-held suspicion. My, My last name uh, doesn't sound uh, Slavic, and uh, there was uh, lack of uh, a Christian uh, tradition on, on part of, of my father's family and so on. Also, uh, on the side of my father, there were very few relatives. In In the process of my research, I first found... People of the same last name in the United States, uh, whom I contacted, and their ancestors were from from Poland, they all were Jewish. And and through that research, um, I found more and more and more information. At some point, I contacted my father. I never asked him, why didn't you tell me? He never asked me, why do you do it? I simply said, father, father. I found some distant relatives uh, in in the United States and uh, I have a new hobby. I research family history. Please tell me as much as you know about uh, our grandparents, uh, -grandparents, great-grandparents, if you know anything, and also those who perished in the Holocaust. So I gave him sort of a hint that I already knew. And my father sent me a very long letter with all the details about every uh, relative of his, whether alive or dead, mostly dead,
3: what did that change in your life? Well, uh, it
1: changed a lot from that moment. Uh, i with two identities, so to speak, I felt fuller, I understood my origin, my background, my roots uh, much better, and by being able to relate to two cultures, two traditions, and still to the same. Uh, home country I grew up in, uh, it it made me really feel complete.
3: Was there anything that was hard for you to swallow?
1: Well, not really, but uh, to be honest with you, I was a little bit reluctant to go public with it. So I held it among uh, close friends uh, within the family. At some point, it it took a little bit of, of courage when I decided to Uh, to write a letter to uh, my cousin on my mother's side, who is Christian and who actually attended a a Catholic seminary, uh, became a businessman later on. I wrote to him and I said, you know, I have this new hobby. I thought you could be interested. And I wrote everything about uh, my findings, and his response was, oh, that's wonderful. We actually all knew about your father being Jewish. Uh, You were just, (laughs) I guess, the only one that didn't know.
3: Well, let's talk about what happened later. It wasn't just finding out about being of Jewish descent and Polish descent, but also um, that influenced a lot of things that you have been doing ever since.
1: Well, I first got engaged in um, the uh, Jewish Genealogical Society. I started systematic research I um, uh, created a family tree of hundreds of um, uh, ancestors and uh, and contemporary um, stretching across continents I started making uh, presentations and being active and in I believe 2002 I was put in charge of the International Conference on Jewish Genealogy as a a program director and uh, where we had uh, 120 lectures and uh, numerous films and exhibitions and so on. So I got very serious about it. Uh, But at some point I said, okay, so I have researched. I pretty much um, reached the point Um, of of knowledge that I wanted to absorb about uh, my own ancestry. Now I want to do something about it. And I thought that um, the issue that I was uh, really um, interested in was the Polish-Jewish relations. And uh, I found out about the Polish-Jewish Heritage Foundation that uh, already existed in Toronto. Uh, At that time was about five years old or so. Now it's, I believe, 29 years old. And uh, I joined it. And uh, from almost day one, I was, uh, through discussion with the board members, I was uh, invited to, to join the board. And then 2003, I became the chair of the Toronto chapter. There's two chapters. Uh, The other one is is in Montreal. And uh, I became very active um, in the foundation. Um, I just felt the need to devote my time and energy to this subject. And it's not only about the Polish-Jewish relations. That was the ultimate uh, goal, uh, to improve those but it was about educating people about the heritage of the Polish Jews, about the common history, trying to remove the stereotyping, correct um, uh, the wrongs, uh, the the false statements, uh, correct the information, introduce um, true history, invite scholars, and so on and i found it uh, very rewarding very interesting so this from that moment it became uh, pretty much uh, half of my life the other half being uh, my profession as an architect and 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 project manager and uh, and and my family life
3: Looking back, now we're talking 13 years since you have been head of this organization. What are the things that you have really achieved? Things that you are proud of? Things that have really, really worked?
1: It is a very, very difficult question, actually. Uh, It happened on many occasions that uh, I was uh, contacted or experienced during our programs that people would say, I had no idea. I had a totally different picture of Poland, or this would be the statement on part of of the Polish Jews in Toronto. Then uh, some of the Poles would say, I I absolutely didn't know those facts about uh, about the Jews in Poland. Uh, It makes me now understand uh, a lot a lot more. There was uh, a lot of generalization. Some of the Jews um, who had really uh, bad experience in in relation to the Poles uh, during the war uh, held this view of Poland uh, being uh, homogenous, uh, full of anti-Semites and, and violent people and nothing else. Uh, there were Poles for whom Jews were only the, the the oppressors of of the communist regime in in Poland, and here we had many many opportunities to discuss those things, however difficult they were, and it opened the doors of dialogue and and a possibility of building bridges.
3: There are so many events that the Polish Jewish right. Heritage Foundation organizes, co-organizes with others as well, which is wonderful. I mean, any events that just stick in your mind as something that was particularly important.
1: Well, yes, I I would say that um, the exhibition in uh, 2004, and I still see their faces, which uh, we we brought from Poland. This is a photographic exhibition composed of of dozens of life-size photographs of Polish Jews before the war. So you could could actually stand in front of the picture and look this person in the eyes and read their stories and see these wonderful people who had great life who had uh, their profession their family life and uh, and then imagine what happened this exhibition was uh, placed in the heart of of toronto in alan lambert galleria uh, in the financial district Uh, which was open 24 hours a day. Thousands of people would walk through it. We printed those leaflets uh, that were put in the boxes uh, at the exhibition. In the first week, 50,000 of those disappeared. uh, The the exhibition had coverage in the mainstream uh, media, television and press. At this exhibition, uh, a number of um, important moments uh, happened. Uh, Once I see a man Uh, standing in front of of one of the panels and and crying. And I walked up to him and I said, "Um, excuse me, sir, what happened? Why are you crying? And he said he had a little sister uh, before the war. This sister was taken to the death camp. The last thing he remembered was her braided hair. Uh, And he couldn't remember her face. Uh, uh, He didn't have any photographs of her. And here there was a panel with three school photographs, grade one, grade two, grade three. On each of these photographs, he could see his his sister. There was another interesting, I would say, moment. I see a woman, business uh, attire, uh, high heels, well-groomed. You could see she would be a lawyer, perhaps. And she spends more time than everybody else. I didn't want to interrupt her. When she was about to leave, I I walked up to her. I said, excuse me, madam, I'm the organizer, and I would really uh, appreciate if you told me what you think about it. And she says, you see, I'm an Arab. I'm from Lebanon. And I never knew what Jews were. I you know, I, I always had those, uh, those stereotypes, and it's the first time that I could face them and, and try to understand them.
3: So other than that, you have been doing lectures, uh, film screenings, you participate in the Holocaust Education Week, and so on and so on. Do you find that there is enough knowledge around? Do you find there's enough interest in those issues?
1: there's a lot of interest and um, people who are willing to learn who um, have a level of curiosity uh, they certainly uh, benefited from from all of it uh, we as you said we had film festivals and uh, we had commemorative events we had the best uh, uh, possible scholars um, uh, of history, uh, literature and so on.
3: Do you believe that the, that the foundation has managed to bring Polish and Jewish people together more than it was the case before you started your work? And of course you're not the only organization that works towards it, but you're probably one of the most prominent ones.
1: Well, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> I always tried to uh, inform the Jewish community and the Polish community um, about our programs and invite reporters to our programs and so on, and let's start with the the most prominent uh, uh, Jewish paper in in Toronto, which is the Canadian Jewish News. A number of reporters wrote on Polish topics, and I think if you compare what was published uh, 30 years ago and uh, what is published now, uh, there's, there's a big difference. I um, told once uh, one of the senior reporters, uh, not anymore with Canadian Jewish News, but then uh, he was uh, one of the key reporters, uh, Sheldon Kirchner. I told him that uh, he should simply go to Poland and uh, I would give him dozens of contacts and uh, he would certainly be exposed to what's happening now, he would be better informed what what happened before. And uh, he said, what a wonderful idea. And um, uh, he was with the help of, of the consulate, uh, his trip was organized, he spent several weeks in Poland and uh, his writing definitely uh, changed and informed uh, the whole society much better. Um, if I were to give uh, an example from, uh, from the Polish uh, community here, Polonia, well, it's your paper, Gazeta, a lot of fantastic articles. My experience from the time I'm with the Foundation is really wonderful. Uh, you've covered our events very well in depth. Uh, you offered uh, very interesting comments and you collaborated with us on, on a number of events, which, which we really appreciate uh, because it's it's so important for us uh, that we have uh, the, the partner from, from Polonia. I I can't uh, say the same thing about um, all other media or all other groups. within the community but uh, it's really appreciated and i think we achieved a lot i think you have informed a large number of people about the the common polish jewish history about the heritage of the jewish people in poland and you have also tried to to build those bridges Uh, you actually did uh, exactly the same work that i um, have been trying to do within the framework of, of the foundation
3: Thank you for the compliments. There's, of course, a lot more to talk about, your involvement in other projects.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, The Polin Museum, uh, there's a number of of initiatives in Poland, and uh, uh, certainly uh, one to be mentioned is uh, the new project of a permanent uh, museum of the Ringelblum Archives, the uh, endowment for for the Auschwitz-Birkenau Museum, And uh, the whole um, uh, broad issue of of the resurgence of the Jewish life in Poland, I think that is also a a unique subject.
3: All right. So I invite you to come back to podcast in maybe about a month or two, and we will have a whole interview related to those issues that you've just mentioned. Okay?
1: By all means. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
5: To learn more about Polish Jewish Heritage Foundation, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. And we invite you to the second interview with Peter Yassem in two months.
3: Remember how, while comparing Polish friends to normal friends, we pointed out that a normal friend says a lot of please while a Polish friend would say, pass me the salt, shut the door, turn off the TV. Polish people are known for their hospitality and openness, but if you come from an English-speaking country, you will probably find them very direct. All these niceties that are so typical of the English language are simply not present in Polish. It's not that the language itself lacks means to express them, but they are simply not expressed, because Poles don't find them important.
5: One such example is the commonly heard English reaction to someone's question expressing interest in your well-being. This common reaction is to say, thanks for asking. Poles would not say, dziękuję, że pytasz, which would be the literal translation of this response.
3: I think similarly in English we often express extra things to someone for doing something for us by emphasizing the thank you with words or expressions such as I appreciate it or it means a lot. Again, such phrases are not typically used in Polish. last episode 43, you met Marek Probos, one of a handful of Poles who made it in Hollywood, where he came for a short visit in 1987 as a big Eastern European star, film, television and stage actor in his native Poland with more than 50 starring roles and numerous awards, known across Eastern Europe as the De Niro of Poland. He talked about his beginnings in Hollywood, why and how he stayed and succeeded there. Here is part 2 of our conversation. So looking back, you have also established not only an extremely successful career in the states, but you have also made that step back to Poland, right? So you basically work both here and there.
6: That's that's fantastic actually. That people ask me, how did you how is that possible? Uh, because uh, I never had agents. So My career was so um, vivid at the time when I left that still some people call me back. Some directors know me or I met uh, some directors. When was the first
3: phone call? After how many years?
6: After many years because I left in 87 Hmm. and 2002, I think, was the phone call from Poland to bring me back to the TV series, the most popular Polish TV series, m Yacky That's years. so
3: interesting. You played a gay guy for yeah, the first time yeah, on Polish yeah. television.
6: Why well, did they call you? Uh, they say that in Poland everybody was afraid to play gay. Actually, the partner I played with, believe it or not, he was so afraid of me, for example, putting my hand on his shoulder, not talking about a kiss. He said, something may happen to me. I'll be afraid to walk my dog. What would people say? And then I t- we talked with the director, to this partner of mine, and he said, come on, man, I mean, this is a movie. I mean, look, you like American cinema or European, just look what the actors are doing. This is your profession, right? Uh, in the old days, all men played women, etc. All the characters. Ilona Webkowska, the queen of Polish TV series, yeah. she told me this. She saw me on stage in the play in Poland and in Warsaw when I played uh, Green Eyed in Death Watch by Jean Genet. Mm -hmm. And this is three prisoners in a cell, and one of them is a leader that I played, and two other male characters are falling in love with him. Jean Genet was a gay, and I was in it, so she kind of got that concept from seeing me on stage playing that character. But definitely it was about other actors being afraid of taking a blame of being maybe a gay. So it was a first public role Of someone who was brave enough to do it And for me it was absolutely normal Are you kidding me? I'm an (laughs) actor And it was funny because in the beginning I met people in the streets And they, oh, we hate you Or oh, but you know what? getting into second season or even sooner people say, Oh we love you. You are such a good man. So what you are gay. So basically it did change the view and because three to five million people were watching it, Mm -hmm. it was a big impact on tolerance and that was the whole idea behind it to create character which people will understand. It's not about sexual orientation, it's about how good of a human being you are. Who are you? As a human being
3: now you are a teacher, I mean an academic teacher
6: I got my uh, title last year. I'm the adjunct professor now. And That's I know true. you've
3: taught people who got yeah. Oscars later. Yeah. Is your Polish soul or identity in any way part of your teaching, something you give to your students, or is that
6: separate? Once you realize that, that you're made of a very hard rock, if it's a granite, it's a granite, if it's a diamond, it's a diamond, but you realize that all the vices you have actually, it's your strength. Your difference is your strength. If you hear your inner voice, it's your strength. Your accent, is your strength. Then you pass it on to people and they start to see beyond that. You take them to the places which are so obscure to them.
3: What places have you taken your students to?
6: i I taking them to the places like absurd, for example. American students cannot comprehend that. They are in realism, in reality. It's so hard for them to see beyond that. Abstract—it's something they are absolutely not used to. American audience, American students. Mm-hmm. So to introduce to them abstract concept of abstract is it, not easy, but it's possible.
3: How do they feel with this journey that you're taking with you? They
6: love it. They love it. I, I so have, it's a liberating experience. Oh yes. Oh yes, big time. I teach for eighteen years now in America, and I have a big uh, group of followers. Last year they, uh, you know, bought me a big Oscar, the best teacher. Also, I got my, my title you know, as a professor as a result of the way I teach. And, and uh, students here are writing review after you teach them. They write about you. I teach privately. I, I also got hired to teach uh, actors for the lead characters in studio movies and films. I never applied for it. They found out about me from my students. And they asked me to teach the lead actress for the feature film. And I already did that twice. And I have students who are flying uh, from Chicago to take my classes uh, on Friday night. So I teach them Saturday morning, Sunday morning. On Sunday, they fly back to Chicago. Uh, I have students who call me mentor. I have really a lot of young people from around the world, because when I have 20 people in class, I would say 15 of them are from different countries. So it's different energy, rhythm, Mm. uh, poetics, uh, customs, traditions, folklore, everything.
3: So the teaching has taken a big part of your heart, I guess. It
6: does, you know. Is I, it more
3: important now than acting? No. Yeah.
6: I'm a renaissance man and I, mm. for some reason, I write book. I wrote books which are published, screenplays, plays. Uh, I like writing. It's probably after my grandfather. I, I just have that skill. I direct theater, film. I act, of course. I teach. I raise my children. And you know what? I love all of this. And I I, I don't force it. It's authentic.
3: Now your kids speak Polish?
6: Speak, write and read. Uh, They can be perfect double agents. For sure, they are fluent. My daughter is after second year in Berkeley.
3: What is she studying?
6: She's studying ecology. And my son is playing soccer in Brazil. Vincent, 17 years old. Uh, He was called uh, by the National team in Poland for you 15 two years ago, then the, by American national team, and now we met with the coach of his and he said, listen, like Hollywood is for actors, Brazil is for soccer players, if your son is going to make it to the top, he needs to go to Brazil so my son finished high school two years ahead of time
3: well it's like father like son, look at you you finished your, right. your, your uh, theater school in three years that's
6: right That's right. And wrote my thesis and everything. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, So he graduated two years ahead of time because he was in Olympic school, so he was schooled from home. And that gave him two years to go abroad. And he's in Brazil right now for five months already playing in a club over there. So is he staying? He he can stay only half a year, 180 days. So Mm. he's coming back in June. Mm. Then we'll rethink everything and he will go back. He's the only blonde blue-eyed there who is playing in the team. He was challenged many times, bullied many times, robbed once. You know, it's, it's tough, but that's what makes you strong. Yeah, yeah. And what about Gosha, your wife? What does she do? My wife's passion is yoga. She was a what yoga teacher, and she's a Reiki healer, and she's a life coach. So I have somebody oh who can take care of me very nicely, mm-hmm. and take care of the family.
3: How so- is Hollywood? Is it a tough place? Is it a good place? Is it as horrible as some people think it is? Like, you know, full of sharks that would eat you right away? Or is it, what is it like?
6: It's all of it. It's all of it. It can be one day horrible, one day beautiful. One day you are eaten by a shark and nobody remembers about you the next day. That's all of it is Hollywood. Um, I think that that's exactly the point that you have to, like a soldier, keep marching and doing, and working, and believing. I call to my student CCD, courage, confidence, determination. You have to be determined, courageous, confident, and keep marching. Mm, It's not a place for sissies, and especially in this profession. Forget it.
3: You have worked with so many amazing, well, I don't like the word celebrity, incredible people, right? Both, both actors and uh, directors. Is there anybody that made an incredibly deep impression on you?
6: I have my mentors, of course. Who are they? Uh, one of them, uh, probably the first one that I had was Stanisław Igar, Polish. Um, very well-known theater, radio and film actor. Passed away a long time ago. Then another was, was um, f- famous, brilliant Czech film director František Vláčil. Igar was the one who taught me how to penetrate poetry. Um, that was very, in the very important moment of my life. He gave me a lot of, of courage. Uh, Vláčil casted me in the lead part of, of uh, Fern's Shadow film, which, which uh, got awards at the San Sebastian Film Festival. And uh, I played Ruda Aksamit's lead part in the film, which was written by Jozef Czapek. Remember, there was Karol Czapek and Jozef Czapek, two Mm -hmm. brothers, one of them famous painter, one of them famous writer. Now, Jozef Czapek wrote one novel, and that's The Ferns Shadow, for which he won prize in Czechoslovakia. And since then, next year, new government, it was banned, and it was banned for 60 years. And then Vlachil offered me the lead part. It was an amazing meet, meeting with the poet philosopher of camera. He was a poet, visual poet himself. And then I I went also to Russia a few times. I was invited as a jury of the International Film Festivals and I bumped into this amazing Orthodox uh, priest. His mother was Polish and the family was sent to Siberia. And somehow we, I discovered in him this spiritual guru, amazing, amazing human being, which also made a huge impact on my life. In, in Los Angeles, um, I met with my first professor at the American Film Institute, where I studied film directing. It was Stuart Rosenberg. And Stuart Rosenberg is a Jewish, was a Jewish film director, a famous one. His first feature film was uh, Cool Hand Look with Paul Newman. And then he made many other classic, great uh, Hollywood films, but he was an amazing humanitarian. He wrote Serpico. He wrote Malcolm X. Um, he, he, di- he directed the Voyage of the Damned. He directed um, uh, Pope of a Greenwich Village. Brew Baker. Many other hits. Uh, Twilight Zone. The first episodes, etc., etc. So Stewart also told me that um, that I have to make movies. That I cannot forget about my visual talent. I was his student of the year. Since then, I wrote eleven feature-length screenplays, directed six short films, documentary movies. and the screenplays feature screenplays were made into films. Not all of them. Some of them are still waiting. But every journey like that takes a lot of time, of course, and is a visually told story. There's a skill, uh, but it's time-consuming skill. So of course, it takes a lot, a lot of your time. You know, I'm writing another screenplay right now, as we speak, uh, about emigrant. Uh, Because I realized at a certain point recently, actually, that maybe a couple of years ago, that, well, I'm an immigrant for 30 years now, and I better tell immigrant stories because it should be something which is close to my heart. And I do understand and relate to those stories uh, very strongly. So I can really bring them closer to people who don't understand, who who kind of make primitive uh, jokes about uh, immigrants because they only see vices or how hard it is, and they forget about where they did come from or how long did it take for them to be where they are.
3: Are there many Poles coming to Hollywood, trying to make it there?
6: Constantly, there are are people coming and leaving, coming and leaving, coming and leaving. For actors it's always hard. And of course what you see, you see young, beautiful uh, starlets who are coming because they are hoping to make it when they are going to come, not when they are fifty, 50 years old. Hollywood is is a beast. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, why did it happen? He was married to somebody who was very important in America, right, from Kennedy's family. So, come on, it's not a coincidence that a weightlifter just made it. No, 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 no. There is a connection to him making it. The same is with Banderas. He married Melanie Griffith, who, who is from Griffith family. It, it, it's not coincidence. People who don't understand it, they, they just think, oh, how lucky or how great. But
3: you were not married to anybody influential in Hollywood, so you made it despite all this.
6: Yes, yes, absolutely. And you know what? And I'm proud of it. Nothing, nothing compares to true love or to, to, to the real happy family. No career. I'll never, ever... Trade it for any movie. To
5: learn more about Marek Probosz, please visit our website at mypolcast.com.
7: Smacznego! We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter.
8: And my name is Laura
7: and we wrote two heritage Polish cookbooks called Polish Classic Recipes and Polish Classic Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations.
8: But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. Today, we're talking about a chilled summer beet soup. In Polish, called chłodnik, cool basz. Soups are
7: a fundamental part of Polish meals. Hot soups are usually robust, they're fragrant, creamy, very filling. But when the sun starts beating down from above, chilled summer soups are lighter and more refreshing.
8: And they take advantage of the marvelous fresh vegetables found at our nearest farmer's markets. Chodnik, the Polish name of this soup, is based on the Polish word for cool.
7: While several versions of borscht originated throughout Eastern Europe, it's been written that cool summer borscht is unique to Poland. It's been around for centuries and is among the world's best as a summer cooler.
8: It's full of garden fresh flavors and vegetable crunch. It's immensely refreshing as the most perfect lunch or light supper. We like to serve it just by itself or with a hunk of fresh aromatic rye bread and a smear of sweet butter.
7: You know, we love to share it with our English speaking guests because when they first see it, that bright pink liquid in a white bowl, the typical reaction is, wow, it looks so pretty. But then after a few spoonfuls, wow, I never knew beets could be so good.
8: The version we're making today is lighter and somewhat more simplified spin on the recipe featured in our heritage cookbook, Polish Classic Recipes, which has been around for centuries.
7: The recipe, not the book. This one is full of fresh flavors, and a slight tang from the beets, cucumbers, and the sour cream. It's immensely refreshing as a perfect lunch or light supper. We have a big bowl chilling in the fridge right now, and we'll serve it tomorrow with some fresh crusty bread and paired with a dry white wine. So start with two bunches of cooked young red beets with their leafy tops sliced and julienne.
8: Or as an alternative, you can substitute two cups of canned beets but not the pickled kind. Add some lemon juice, four cups of full buttermilk, sour cream, half a cup of juice from the can of beets, a pinch of sugar and salt to taste. You'll need a large cucumber, two hard boiled eggs, fresh dill and chives, or green onions. Boil the beets
7: with their tops in a pot of water with the lemon juice for 20 minutes or until just tender. Drain and cool the beets completely. An ice bath would speed that up.
8: Julienne the beets. Cut the tops into bite-sized pieces.
7: Yeah, don't throw the tops away.
8: Stir in the buttermilk, sour cream, the beet juice that you retained, and cucumber slices. Season with salt and sugar. Gently fold in the hard-boiled eggs and the green onion. Put it in the fridge for half a day. Sprinkle the dill on top of each bowl and serve cold with fresh bread and sweet butter. The
7: full recipe for this amazing summer soup and information about our heritage cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the article just recently posted on June 12th. Smacznego!
3: We highly recommend this great recipe. The Chłodnik photo and recipe were posted on Peter and Laura's Facebook page on June 12th and got over 75,000 views in 24 hours from all around the world. Since then, the number of views has increased to over 83,000. As a result, as we hear from P- uh, Peter and Laura, there were thousands of hits on their website and sales of their books have jumped, and their recipe book was on their publisher's top 10 on Amazon list a couple of weeks ago.
5: Huotnik is just perfect for summer days, so congratulations to Laura and Peter. And if you guys are looking for great gift, get their wonderful Heritage Cookbooks.
3: When I watched this amusing and interesting video on YouTube called Visit Poland – 10 things that will shock you about Poland, I had a good laugh and it made me think. So we decided to share it with you. Mark Walters has been doing his great travel videos called Walters World about travel, languages and life abroad from all around the world since 2009. Having attracted over 217,000 subscribers, his entertaining and informative videos have had a whopping 52 million views. The address is www.waltersworld, and it's w-o-l-t-e-r-s
5: waltersworld.com. As Mark himself says, tired of hearing that town X is the next Prague or the Paris of the North, South, East, or West. At Walter's Word, we are two, so we give you the honest-to-goodness travel advice on what you will love and hate about traveling to different countries and towns, and maybe learn a bit about new cultures and languages. Please join us on the trip.
3: What shocks us about is a series that consists of 27 videos. The one about Poland is his most recent, posted on June the 4th, and has been viewed by over 800,000 viewers. Mark has given us permission to share with you on PolCast its audio. To see the video, go to YouTube, Walter's World.
5: Let's hear what shocks foreigners visiting Poland. And do we agree?
0: Hey there, fellow travelers, Mark here with Walter's World. And today we're in the main square here in Krakow, Poland. Beautiful city, definitely worth checking out. And today what we have for you are the 10 things that shock tourists when they come here to Poland. And the first thing that shocks people when they come to Poland? is the Polish face, the Polish look. When you come here, you'll notice that people walk around like this, just... There's no emotions. It's not happy, it's not sad, it's just neutral. (laughs) And it's funny, because you see it anywhere. Within the train station, you're going out to eat, you're going to the stores, you're going all over the place. They just have the same look. And you're like, wait a minute, can't you be happy or sad or something? No, they have this, like, dead-on look, which works really well, because you'll see the women here are gorgeous, okay? And when you see them walk, you're like, oh, they're just preparing for their supermodel career. Because when you're on the catwalk, you don't show any emotion. So that actually works really well. But it is kind of funny how the people, you know, you do have this... Look, and that's the first thing that shocks people. Also kind of going along with the people, you might be shocked that, look, the Poles are not like the jokes you heard as a kid. They're not dumb, they're not alcoholic, stuff like that. You don't have that. I mean, yes, there are, but that's everywhere. It's not more or less than you get in other countries, so that also kind of shocks the people when they come here because I'm used to all those Polish jokes where, what is it, four Polish people, and how do they you know move the bed or something? You don't have that here. The second thing that will shock you when you come here also deals with the Polish people are how Catholic and how religious the people are. I mean, I remember going on the buses in Lublin, and these like punk rock guys are on the in there, and, and they go by a church, and they all do the sign of the cross. I'm like, whoa, I didn't expect that. People here in Poland are very religious, and the churches, this is St. Mary's, honestly, the first time I walked in there 20 years ago, I would just draw a drop. Wow, the blue the all blue altar and the blue ceiling and everything. It's just amazing. And the churches around the country are gorgeous and they're actually building more churches here. You know, other countries they're turning churches into apartments and hotels and bars. Here people still go to church, they still do believe, and you do have a very religious, conservative feel when the people are here, which is kind of a, a different thing. And you go, and when you go in the churches, that's the real thing about it. You really see the beauty of the churches. The ones that haven't been destroyed during the war, um, that, that may have been rebuilt, but like here and other ones, you really go in and just see the majestic beauty of the churches here. So do take the chance to go into the churches. Don't just go, oh, it's another church. Go in and check it out. And that kind of leads into the third thing that will shock you when you come to Poland, is how much Poland was destroyed during the Second World War. I mean, Krakow was lucky. It didn't really get destroyed during the war, but a lot of the other cities were just leveled. For example, Warsaw. When you go there, you'll go see the uprising museum and realize that everything old in Krakow is actually younger than probably your dad, because they had to rebuild it all after the war, because it got leveled by the Nazis. And you'll see that, and you go around, that's why you'll see the communist architecture in the big square, long, rectangle buildings and stuff like that, because there was nothing there. It was all destroyed, so they had to rebuild. And when you really see the level of destruction throughout the country, and how much they've come back and built new stuff, You'll be very proud of the people and that's what's really cool about it. Now the fourth thing that's going to shock you when you come to Poland is how completely incomprehensible and illegible the Polish language is. Look, if you don't speak Polish, it's okay. The locals know you don't speak Polish. They'll start trying to speak Polish with you, but (laughs) Polish is just one of those languages you're listening at the train station, you're like, yeah, I I got nothing. Yeah, I got. I don't even know what city I'm going to. It is a very tough language, and it's very hard to pronounce. Like, how do you say P R Z in a row? And there's like a hat, and there's an L with a line through it. Is that a T or a what? What is that? You do get pretty confused when you are here And it is kind of shocking that you can't even make out some of the stuff Now, they are developing better for tourism So you will have a lot of, you know, English menus and stuff like that But it is a really good idea to know some Polish before you come Like, dziękuję, which is like, thank you, prosim is please Things like that Because it really gets those people to go from you say, dwa piwa prosim Oh, you speak Polish And they really open up then, okay The fifth thing that might shock you is your eating experience here the poles really love their potatoes and their cabbage. And even if it's not on the menu, like it might say, "Oh, it's a cutlet. Nice. It'll come with cabbage and potatoes." And you're like, "Oh, I'll have, I'll, I'll have the pork. I'll have the pork knuckle instead." Oh, it comes with pork and cabbage. Well, then I'll just have the rolls. Oh, it's a cabbage roll. Okay. <laughs> look you're gonna have a lot of cabbage you're gonna have a lot of potatoes when you are here and there are some pretty good foods like the pierogi you got to have that when you're here um i've actually liked the meats when i was here too and the, they do a good job with the potatoes but it's all the time with the <laughs> with the cabbage and the potatoes again and again and again that's why yesterday i just got the cabbage rolls i'm like look because then i know i'm gonna in the cabbage <laughs> and it came with a side of mashed potatoes and i just <laughs> and <laughs> laughed and <laughs> laughed and <laughs> laughed okay also kind of interesting is they really love their tea here too Now, the sixth thing that might shock you as a tourist is you notice there's not very many tourists. Now, in Krakow, you do get about 10 million tourists a year. I mean, this is a very popular place because it's gorgeous. And I'll talk about that towards the end. But honestly, there's not a lot of tourists that actually come to Poland. And so when you go around, you really are kind of a special tourist because you're actually here. You might get people going, why are you in Lublin? Why, why are you in Woosh? Why are you here? You know, some of the places like Krakow, it's obvious, you know, but you go around and there's just so few tourists out there that you're like, hey, I can kick back, relax and do okay. And what kind of leads on to that is our next shock is how cheap it is here because there's not a lot of tourists driving up the prices. It's, it's nice because you can have a very affordable vacation here in Poland rooms accommodation food drink making merry all kinds of stuff and you'll see a lot of people come to like krakow or warsaw to come have a party weekend and stuff like that because you really can your money goes a lot farther here than other places and that's what's really cool now the next thing that's going to shock you when you are here is the amount of natural beauty and space in poland look this is a huge country. It's one of the biggest countries in Europe, and the thing is, you're going to be going between these different towns, whether it's on a bus or a train, things like that. Not super fast trains, but fast enough trains, and you're going around, and it's just amazing how big the country is, but also the natural beauty you see when you go through there. And what's nice is when you go through, and you can go if you're in the in the north, you're going to Gdansk. Well, that's one of my favorite Krakow and and Gdansk are my two favorites. You're up in Gnans. You come down a bit, you can go over to the Missourian lakes and see the, the castle that's right by there, the, the Marlboro Castle, which is on the way towards there. Go to the lakes and enjoy that. Go to the coast in the north. In the south, you've got the Tatras Mountains and you go to Zakopane and stay there. Tons of Europeans go there to ski in the winter because, yes, it's beautiful and it's cheap. Remember what I said before? But you have this natural beauty, like, wow, this really is. I understand why they have all their tourism propaganda is about you know, the natural beauty of Poland. Because it really is beautiful. Having said that, the next thing that will shock you is how amazing the town squares are here in Poland. Yes, here in Krakow. You've got the, the cloth hall over here to check out. You've got the St. Mary's Church over there. You've got all these things. Oh, sorry. You've got all these things to go and see, and this is actually the largest town square in the European in Europe, and it's amazing, but it's not just here. You go to Warsaw to see their old town square they really built from scratch. Wroclaw, go see the old town in Lublin. Oh man, Gdansk, the port city of Gdansk, man. You just walk around there, see the Neptune statue, you're like, man this is so cool and you have all these beautiful squares and you have all these beautiful buildings that have been rebuilt after the war or maybe they're still there from before the war you have that beauty that not a lot of people think of because when they think of poland you're thinking of you know oh it's just it's farmland and stuff like that and look there are some just amazing places here in poland so it's definitely worth checking out and the 10th thing that might shock you when you do come to poland is the lack of service so remember that polish face this is your service it's not the most attentive it's not the most friendly. You'll get your food. It'll just take some time. <laughs> but just know, Poland isn't necessarily the most service-oriented economy out there, so you need to have some patience when you are when you are coming here. And probably that's the only thing that shocks you kind of in a bad way, is really the service here isn't the best, but it's getting better. I used to come here a lot in the early 2000s for work, and compared to, you know, 2017 versus 2007 or 2002, man, it is it's completely different. Anyway. I hope that helped you know a few things that might shock you before you come to Poland. It is a great country to visit because you're you're one of the few tourists coming here to see some of these beautiful cities like Krakow. So uh, if you want to learn more, uh, five things you love and hate about Warsaw, what you should eat when you come here to Poland, check us out on our website at WaltersWorld.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and we really appreciate your likes and subscriptions. And if you do subscribe to our channel, we actually put out two travel videos every week, every Wednesday and Saturday, and we really appreciate those likes. And if you got comments about things that shocked you about poland put in that comment section below so i'm sorry i talked so fast this video i just got really excited about my time here in poland bye from krakow or krakow sorry <laughs> bye so do we agree
5: it's hard to disagree or not agree it's it's somebody's perception you know when we go to different countries we also have different perceptions than other visitors but I think I like, I, I I would agree, or I know my kids agree with comment about faces, the Polish face.
3: Oh, many people say that all the time, right? Yeah. Grim faces, not too much smiling. Hey, Paul, start smiling. Well, there's something that I want to counter Um, his claim about uh, boring Polish food. Um, I'm sure there's cabbage, I'm sure there's pierogies, and I'm sure there's potatoes. But a very recent study has shown, apparently, that Warsaw is number three in the world, better than London and New York even, as far as the vegetarian restaurants are concerned, even vegan restaurants, with uh, quality, uh, number of those restaurants. So this is something um, that probably
5: Walter has not tried. Well... Maybe he wasn't there when those restaurants opened.
3: Well, no, 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 no. He was there very recently. Probably, well, who knows? Maybe he was looking for something that would confirm his uh, preconceived ideas.
5: Or maybe he just likes pierogies and potatoes and and cabbage, and and he was enjoy- was was happy to see it everywhere.
3: Of course, but we're really happy to um, recommend to you this wonderful series, the whole thing, which is called Walter's World. And uh, again, it's W-O-L-T-E-R-S. So it's Walter's World. This is uh, Mark Walters. And especially a really exciting series, which is called What Shocks You About? And just try that on other countries, some of which I'm sure you know.
5: In the past episodes of our podcast, we have covered a large number of stories and presented to you many amazing people. And it is our great pleasure to be able to update you on their new achievements, as well as some new developments in the stories we have featured.
3: In episode 43, we introduce to you Tomasz Kozłowski a record-holding skydiver who undertook an unusual charity project to do 48 jumps on one day, on the day of his 48th birthday. Each jump was a fundraising project in its own right to help a person in need, a disabled child, a person needing life-saving treatment or equipment. After many months of preparations, on the day of his 48th birthday, he made it. In fact, he jumped 50 times. The practical help he provided to so many people in need is priceless. Congratulations, Tomasz!
5: Over a year ago, in our first episode, we talked about a unique educational program and its founder. Dr. Andrzej Rozbicki is a passionate music teacher in Toronto's Bishop, Morocco, Thomas Merton Catholic Secondary School, as well as a conductor and director of Celebrity Symphony Orchestra organizer of huge concerts with renowned musicians from Europe in which his music students regularly participate. He created a unique program for high school students, music and history approved by Ontario's Ministry of Education and implemented annually in collaboration with the Toronto Catholic District School Board, among others. Students visit a number of countries in Europe where they have an amazing opportunity to experience their culture, mainly music and history intertwined. Now, as we speak, another group is going through this exciting educational adventure. For 18 days in July, they are visiting seven countries Poland and Italy, Germany, Austria, Czech Republic, Hungary, Slovakia. And they are earning their educational credits while having fun. <music> You've been listening to the 45th episode of Polcast.
3: Polcast is created, recorded, and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska
5: and Tomek Kniat.
3: For a lot of additional information, multimedia, and links, please visit our website, mypolcast.com.
5: And while you are there, please leave your comments and share with us your thoughts, reactions, and ideas. If you know of any interesting person or story that we should cover on Polcast, please let us know.
3: If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends.
5: Thank you for listening to Polkas. We leave you today with Polish version of Eagles Hotel California. This version is performed by Krzysztof Piasecki. Thank you for listening to podcast.
4: Kupowało się byle co. Kupowało się kwiaty dziewczyną I do parku się szło Czytało się stachurę I oglądało rejs Wyjeżdżało czasem się w góry Szukając mniej szarych miejsc Słuchało się teru, a czasem RWE W gazetach towarzysz Gierek Nadawał sprawą bieg, kolejka do mieszkania, na talon mały Fiat. Zebrania na rady zebrania, a za kurtyną świat, aż ktoś przywiózł motel Kalifornia. I świt, a ze wschodu znikł. Ty słuchałeś hotelu w hotelu Kalifornia. Chodziłeś w taki stan, jakbyś był z nimi tam. Na wajdę się chodziło, wystawało się po chleb. Przeżywało się pierwszą miłość i dostawało w łeb. W gatetach rząd i partia, a w podziemiu kor Jeden kolega wariat, drugi wysoko stąd. Nie możesz tego wiedzieć, młodziku z Radia FM, kiedy za szybą studia ja siedzisz, nadając utwórkę. Dla Ciebie to tylko staroć, dla nas to święty graj. Daj wybrzmieć tym gitarom i orłów nieść, się daj. Wywaj hotelu Kalifornia, nie gitarzy statnie, taka aż się Cię, Do naszego hotelu Kalifornia, tam gdzie będziemy żyć, gdy już skończymy być.
0: Viaje.